You're listening to the Canadian Investor Protection Fund podcast channel. Here we connect with industry leaders and experts in the financial sector. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the CIPF podcast series. I'm Donna Howard, Chair of the Board of Directors of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Our topic of conversation today is resolving customer disputes in times of crisis. The Ombudsman for Banking Services and Investments, or more commonly known as OPSI, resolves disputes between participating banking services and investment firms and their customers. My guest today is Sarah Bradley, Ombudsman and CEO of OPSI. Our discussion will explore how OPSI has adapted to COVID-19, as well as observations and lessons learned during this time of crisis. Sarah, it is a pleasure to have you join us for this podcast. Thanks so much, Donna. It's great to be here. Great. Well, let's start off with, during times of crisis, how do you convey confidence to your stakeholders? And what have been some of the most effective communication tools that your organization has used to meet this goal? Such an interesting question. You know, thank you very much for having me and and uh, and for raising you know such an interesting topic for us to discuss today. Um, you know, times of crisis are obviously highly unusual times, but they do provide a very unique opportunity when we're talking about communication. Because outside of a crisis, it can be very difficult to 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 be relevant, to capture people's attention, to be to be delivering messages in a way that people will will care about. Um, but during a crisis, you know that some of that initial difficulties overcome. Um, if you have something that's relevant to say, people are ready to listen uh, because. In a time of crisis, people are looking for answers, or maybe they're looking for order uh, in a, when they have a sense of disorder, or they're looking for an improve to improve their understanding. So it's you know that initial hurdle of getting to the start line of having somebody listening to you is often you know actually a little easier to overcome as long as you have something relevant to say. So you know thinking about communications, I always Think of them. I always sort of bucket this into two categories, um, and they're they're a bit separate. And the first would be personal communications, um, you know, direct interpersonal communications, and the other would be digital communications. Both of which have been super relevant uh, during the uh, during the recent crises we've been going through. So, looking at it from a personal or a team communication perspective during a crisis. I think one of the lessons we've learned is, you know, more is better. Just being available, being connected, being engaged. We're all physically separated. Everybody is going through their own experience in terms of, you know, the the pandemic that we're going through. And, you know, there's a real variety out there of experiences that people are having. Being present, making those connections, it's absolutely critical. And I I don't think I can identify anybody who's doing too much of it. There's just, there's always an appetite for more. And 
And in those communications, you know, with uh, with interpersonal communications, expressing empathy, understanding, you know, relating to what people are going through has been so key because I think we're we all have you know something that we're going through that's unique and and it's nice to feel that while we're socially and physically isolated, nice to feel that sense of of connection on an empathy level. And part of that, I think, when you're a leader too, is being okay with expressing a bit of vulnerability, letting people know that this is challenging for you too. Sharing your own challenges and experiences, I found is really important to being able to establish establish a connection with the people that you're talking to. And I think those are it's easier for it comes more naturally, I would say, to some people than to others. And I found it to be a, a really important tool in the toolbox. But at the same time, I think if for those of those of us who are in a leadership position, I think communicating personally during a time of crisis requires, you know, a sense of confidence as well. So to be, in fact, to be leading and to be uh, expressing yourself with confidence understanding the the challenges of the situation, but having a plan, sharing the plan openly, expressing, you know, your own views of why the plans will be effective, but still showing flexibility, you know, and agility, openness to new ideas. But remembering that in a time of crisis, you know, people will be looking to leaders for a sense of, of direction, a sense of confidence if things seem uncertain. So I think that's, you know, it's, it might sound a bit in conflict with expressing vulnerability, but I think the two can actually marry together quite well. And that applies to internal team communications, of course, talking to your, your own internal stakeholders. But it, I think that the ideas of engagement and empathy and leadership are equally important when we're talking to our external stakeholders as well. You know, they need to hear from you they need to feel and understand their that you feel and understand their challenges too and they need to understand your plan understand that your your organization's resiliency so i just i think that those are messages that sort of track across all personal communications and what about for opsi specifically for us this has translated into more opportunities for frequent team check-ins for coffee break meetings with colleagues or even with you know direct reports and others in the organization for just as many touch points as possible that we can organize between team members or encourage team members to organize with each other we've also been organizing some bi-weekly town halls this has been a great tool where all of our staff are invited uh, it's a range of presentations. Sometimes it's me talking. Sometimes it's other uh, senior management team or other colleagues. It's a chance for us to talk about new initiatives uh, or per, for teams to provide updates to the rest of the organization about what's happening on their team. Um, I also have an anonymous Ask Sarah question drop box uh, uh, on, our, uh, on our intranet site, and nothing is off limits. Any of our employees can ask any question that they that they want. Some of them have been interesting, um, and 
and I'll answer it. I'll, I'll address it at the next uh, town hall. And, um, you know, we've also just been more intentional about more frequent uh, brief check-ins with our key stakeholders. So reaching out externally as well. And, you know, those are all ways that we've been, that we've been trying to, uh, trying to touch base with, uh, with people inside and outside the organization. Uh, we've also, you know, opened up some online portals and using some uh, electronic and digital technology uh, to, to open up a different lines of communication. So we have a firm portal, uh, we have a consumer portal. Uh, these are our digital spaces where firms and consumers can log in and securely see information about the cases that they might have with us, uh, upload documentation, they can um, deal with administrative matters and firms can see how their firm compares to aggregated data for other sectors. So a lot of that was previously done through other channels, but now it's a, it's a bit of more of a self-serve uh, option for our stakeholders. But I guess that brings us to the other major bucket of communications during a crisis. Um, so there's the personal bucket, but then there's the digital communications during a crisis. And from an organizational point of view, uh, that's been really key and has also uh, changed uh, through the crisis. You know, digital communication is just seems to be the default for so many people today. And I think that's especially true during a crisis where people are maybe looking for information with urgency uh, or they're, you know, they're dealing with short notice or they're on a different schedule uh, to others. So having a way to, to be able to provide information on demand um, is, is, I think, even more valuable during a crisis than not. But being as transparent as possible. Um, having the information that is available that people might be looking for. And on this, I think more is better, but it comes with a caveat because more information and, and, and a depth of information can also lead to a bit of a overload and make it hard for people who are seeking that information to actually find or pinpoint the pieces that are relevant to them. So this is where you know digital tools around searchability and uh, uh, if the effective use of, of the digital tools is so key. It's its it's, its own whole profession. I don't know that much about it. I know that it, that that we we do hire people who who do understand it. Um, we've certainly found at OBSI that investing in search engine optimization has driven a lot of improvement uh, for us. Uh, and understanding too that the structure of the information, how we how we uh, present it. Our newsletter format has been updated, so there are short leaders and links back to website content and more focus on sharing content through in small bites, through different channels like social media channels, and even things like changing the formatting of information on our website. We're moving away from PDFs, which are challenging uh, from an SEO perspective and, and have their own accessibility challenges you know, in using alternatives instead. All of those have been really helpful for us. Your talk of technology has made me ask the question, in the virtual work environment, which I assume you're in, have you made tweaks to your leadership style that you plan to adopt going forward? 
You know, yes, I have. I found that there are um, both opportunities and challenges in leading in a digital environment. You know, during this period of time when so many of our staff have been far more productive, you know, I'm not sure that I can necessarily say the same for myself, or at least I think it's it's fair to observe that my productivity has changed. You know, I'm certainly saving a lot of time on the things that we all used to do a lot of, moving physically between home and work and between meetings and doing things like traveling to, to other cities and so on. Um, but I'm, I'm also having a lot more meetings, having a lot more intentional and uh, thoughtful meetings. I think it's been really critical uh, to be in touch with people, to, to ensure or to try to ensure that feeling of connectedness personally, but also as an organization. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's that feeling of connectedness also to the mission, right? To, to an understanding of what we're all about and to feeling an important part of it. You know, there's not really shortcuts to that. It takes time. It takes effort. Um, and so I found doing that myself, I'm, I'm more intentional about it, more focused on it. And I'm also certainly encouraging other leaders in our organization to do that as well. You know, it's such a key challenge of remote work is that sense of disconnectedness. And for us as leaders, we really need to do what we can to, to bring people together closer closer to us, you know, but closer to each other as well, even though we're physically separated. And so those are, I think, lessons that won't go away. Uh, I, you know, when we are able to be back in person again, I think we're going to be needing to keep up our regular team meetings, keep up our updates, the transparency. A lot of those things have been so valuable. For us, it'll be those biweekly town halls. I'm sure we're going to keep doing them. They've been very popular, and I'm sure they'll be just equally relevant once the crisis uh, is over, hopefully soon. A good lesson to have learned to date. But do you have any other important, the, the most valuable lesson that you've learned to date while leading your organization during this COVID period? The COVID period has been a time of many lessons, I think. Uh, if, I had to, if I had to say it was the most valuable, um, I really think if it's, I mean, if, if, the, if the pandemic's taught us anything, it's really that we need to be prepared for change. And, you know, a lot of changes are not that easy to prepare for. So prepared might not even be the right word, but being ready, being light on our feet. You know, I, the word agile is such a loaded term these days. It seems to mean different things to different people. But the idea of being prepared to be flexible, understanding that our routines, our traditions, you know, they they aren't what keep us who we are, right? That that they aren't what keeps us moving forward. That we can pursue our organizational goals in a variety of ways. There are, there are many paths to the endpoints that we want to reach, and so ensuring that we're comfortable personally with uh, that kind of mindset, and making sure that our teams are comfortable with that mindset, and feel supported through change. That's probably the biggest um, biggest takeaway from the pandemic for me but I could name a couple of others if you if you'd I, you know 
it's almost equally important, I'd have to say, in terms of lessons would be, you know, the incredible importance of the people uh, that make up our organization. I think that's always been true. Um, any professional services organization, you know, can and should say that the people are incredibly important. But whereas before I might have said, well, people are the hub of our organization's wheel. Now I'd be more inclined to say that people are they're the hub, they're the spokes, they're the rim, they're the tire of our organization. Um, and so the investments that we've made in, in communications and engagement and so on, um, and ensuring that that personal support is there is, has been really key uh, in terms of lessons for me. Getting back to the mission, as you've referred to before, what, what are some of the common disputes between customers and investment dealers? And have you seen a shift in the types of disputes from customers during COVID-19? Yeah, we, we have seen a bit of a shift. Um, one of the things that's interesting about the work at OBSI is that we have such a an incredible variety of uh, of things that can uh, go wrong uh, from the consumer's perspective uh, in a in a in a in an advisory relationship. We do see a very wide variety of cases, and remember too that cases that reach OBSI are cases that you know where the investor has complained to the firm. And the firm has looked into the issue and really has not been able to resolve that issue with the client themselves. So a lot of more straightforward uh, uh, cases or issues really won't end up getting escalated to us. But when cases do come to us, the typical cases that we would see, one of the most common certainly involves suitability, um, the suitability of investments, the suitability of leverage or margin, uh, these are cases that are more difficult to resolve. Uh, there tends to be, uh, there tends to be different perspectives and, and in some cases an unwillingness to sort of see the other party's perspective. So those, those are cases that we see quite a bit of. Uh, service issues um, have been prominent. Uh, transfer delays uh, have been, have been prominent. Transaction errors. Uh, where th something has gone wrong in the in the processing of a transaction, we get complaints about uh, product information or misrepresentation. So where uh, where the consumer is concerned that they either haven't received information or the information they received was incorrect, and we we get quite a few cases about fees as well. So fee about the the disclosure of fees or whether fees were misrepresented um, during the pandemic. You know, I will say we've seen a very significant increase in our uh, investment-related cases, um, pretty much across the board. So, you know, all of those issues that I just um, mentioned, that make up the bulk of the complaints that we deal with in a year, they're all up. Um, but I guess there are certain trends unique to the pandemic, or at least that have have started since the pandemic started. Um, we're seeing a lot of complaints about OEO firms. And uh, and I know um, order execution only. So your direct investing uh, type of firms where there's no advice being given, consumers are responsible for their own decisions, but are using the firm's platform uh, to to do their own DIY investing. 
Um, we know from from talking to others in the industry that uh, the DIY investing is up significantly. Uh, there's a lot more retail uh, uh, investors using those services, and we're seeing a, uh, an uptick in cases um, uh, that come from those uh, platforms. They're they're generally not about advice, of course, uh, but they uh, are sometimes about uh, delays and errors and information problems and so on. Um, through the pandemic as well, which did certainly include a period early on in 2020 of a, a significant market drop uh, and then a very significant volatility um, through uh, throughout the, the, the year since, we've seen a lot of margin issues and, and uh, margin is another area where you know, things can go wrong and it can be hard for the parties to see eye to eye about what uh, what has taken place. So margin issues and service issues, it's, you know, all of us uh, throughout the whole industry have been uh, uh, forced to switch our service model almost immediately to um, to working from our dining room tables and basements. And and that's, you know, that's naturally uh, uh, thrown some some challenges in the way of, uh, of good customer service. Um, so the, I'd say all of those have been uh, a little bit more common than they previously were. Thanks, Sarah. Maybe now is a good time to sort of step back and say, how do you see the role of OPSI evolving into the future? Well, it's a great time that, for you to be asking that question, Donna. Um, we're right now at the end of our current uh, five-year strategic plan. Uh, it ran from 2016 to 2021, so we're just nearing the end of that. and. And through that strategic plan, we were able to make some great improvements in terms of modernizing modernizing our organizational practices from strategic planning to new terms of reference and our social media strategy. Um, we've done a lot of process and efficiency improvements. We have a new you know a case management system and uh, digital transformation and automating our case intake. We've been uh, working on improving our value to stakeholders. So we've published a new website and published the, the uh, consumer and firm portals and launched the firm help desk. Strategic issues like minimizing enterprise risk. So we've been building our financial reserves, focusing on our IT security and that kind of thing. So now, you know, we've really done a lot internally and with our stakeholders. It's it's time, I think, for OBSI to be taking stock, um, thinking about what we can be doing to improve the value that we offer to consumers and firms in the industry uh, as we go into this new strategic cycle. You know, first, I think we really need to always ensure that we're providing the best possible services that we can. Uh, effective dispute resolution that's accessible and fair and independent, and really helping consumers and firms to, to put uh, disputes behind them, to preserve relationships and build confidence uh, where we can. Uh, but there's other possibilities as well, I think, um, such as, you know, including maybe a renewed focus on the communication of our insights. 
it's about five years now since we implemented our new case management system that lets us capture a lot more statistical information about each case. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity around what we do with those, uh, with that information and do with those insights. Um, and especially in the area of effective consumer dispute resolution, um, things that firms can do to really use the feedback that uh, that they should be receiving from their consumers through the com this complaints process, sharing our insights more broadly with consumers and the public as well. And of course, we also need to stay focused on our resiliency. Uh, if the pandemic has taught us anything, as I mentioned before, you know, we really need to be prepared for change. And um, for OBSI in particular, we, we need to be responsive to our environment. Um, our workload and people's need for our services is really not constant, it's quite counter cyclical. Uh, so we need to be uh, we need to be ready um, to serve the serve serve investors and the industry uh, when uh, when we're called upon. Thanks, Sarah. Do you just have any final remarks that you'd like to leave with our listeners? Sure. I think you know the the theme of your series is investor protection in a time of crisis, which I just love. I think it's so apropos. And something that everyone in the financial services sector, you know, always needs to be considering carefully. Um, it's one of those things, though, investor protection, that is just, it's such an essential part of the architecture of a financial system um, that its true value, I think, sometimes can only really be apparent when something has gone wrong, right? When there's been a failure. And... And at that point, it's too late, and usually some significant harm has occurred that can take years to repair. Um, but consumer protection is really important for all of us to be encouraging. Um, positive investor protection measures are a great leveler. You know, we all know that bad apples in the barrel are costly for the whole industry. But you know, when everyone is held to an appropriate standard, then the investments that are made by firms that focus on best practices and, and are very intentional about, uh, about investor protection, they don't get undermined by the underinvestments of others. So, so everyone benefits and it's not just the investors. So kudos to you for, for focusing on investor protection. I think it's, uh, I think it's a very worthwhile effort for us all to be thinking about. Well, thanks very much, Sarah. It was a pleasure to have you with us today. It has been an engaging and thought-provoking discussion. In listening to you, it reminds me of Winston Churchill's words that were repeated so often after the financial crisis of 2008, never let a good crisis go to waste. It's an opportunity to do things that you think you could not do before, and it, clearly you have done a lot during this period. And if I can take away three things, I guess the first is communication is key, partly because stakeholders are willing to listen as long as you have something relevant, and that communication vehicles and content are being transformed, all the while maintaining engagement, empathy, and leadership in the form, as well as the content of messaging. And you use the words both flexibility and agility as key elements of preparedness for future crises because you can't always know what new challenge will be thrown in your path, but strong human resources, 
and a strong mission and strong leadership and strong engagement will support solutions to emerging problems. You mentioned strong connections are also important, not just hearing concerns, whether it be from staff working remotely or investors providing complaints, but listening and understanding. And finally, it struck me that the role of OBSI is similar to CIPF in terms of ultimately helping to preserve confidence in Canada's financial system by protecting investors' interests, despite the distinction between our two roles. And unfortunately, our time together is now up. So I'd like to thank our listeners for their attention. And I hope that you found the discussion as interesting as I have. We always welcome your comments and the best way to reach us is through our website. Finally, we look forward to welcoming you back to listen to the next CIPF podcast. In the meantime, stay tuned and be well. Please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media to stay up to date on all CIPF podcasts. More information about the speakers and what we discussed today can be found in the show notes. Please note that this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to constitute advice of any kind. Thank you for listening.